so beautiful how God calls people and raises them up and and there'll be some gaps left in their absence but it's opportunities for each one of you brothers and sisters and uh, the Lord is faithful always to raise up leaders and and we just pray he will continue to do that mighty mighty work well this past week I was uh, watching on TV and most of us didn't have a choice because it was all over TV word about the Republican National Convention and soon coming up is the, the, the Democratic National Convention. And, and in these conventions, I was struck by something that I saw that, that was uh, very prominent and sure will be prominent in the next ones is that how, how important speeches were to what the conventions were all about. We live in a day and age of multimedia and all sorts, sorts of ways of communicating. But at the end of the day, what were they doing other than standing behind a podium and delivering a message. And although there are various forms of communication, at the end of the day, speaking has a way of inspiring the mind and hearts of people that other forms just can't do the same way. Other forms are important and they're good and they're useful and they're very effective. But speaking, speaking has a unique way of engaging people's thoughts and their affections and their hearts. So I was thinking about different kinds of speeches. And you think of a victory speech for a politician or an athlete after winning a championship. You think of retirement speeches. Um, You think of uh, speeches that call for action. Classic ones like the Gettysburg Address. Like uh, Luke Gehrig's retirement speech. Or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And throughout movies we see great speeches. Some of them humorous. One of my more favorite ones is Bilbo Baggins' birthday speech. This is how it goes. My dear Bagginses and Buffins, Tooks and Brandy Bucks, Grubs, Chubs, Hornblowers, Bulgers, Brace Girdles and Proudfoots, Proudfeets, today is my 111th birthday. Alas, 111 years is far too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable hobbits. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, And I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. I regret to announce, this is the end. I am going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell, goodbye. And he puts on the ring and disappears. I like that one just because they insulted him and they're trying to, he insulted them and they're trying to figure out, what did he just say? And you start thinking about different kinds of speeches. They all kind of move us to some kind of emotion of different sorts. But many speeches that tend to go on a lifetime are those that inspire courageous kind of living. The kind of speech that makes you want to charge the enemy and fight for what you believe in. Today we come to the final message of the book of Joshua. And here we have two different messages that Joshua gives to the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 23 and 24. In these messages, we see a common thread in Joshua's heart. We see that it's his desire to inspire courageous, God-centered living in God's people. He wants them to leave that message fired up to live for God, being courageous to the very end. Not just starting strong or maybe going in the middle, having this, this emotional experience three years later or ten years later. He wants them to start now and finish Strong. He wants to inspire courageous, God-centered living. And that's precisely, I believe, what God has for you and I today. 
We spent our whole summer in this book of Joshua. I've grown very fond of Joshua, the person, and the people of Israel, and seeing what God has done. But at the end of the day, what God wants to do for you and for me is this. He wants to inspire courageous, gospel-centered living in your lives. And what that means is that the truth of God's Word, the reality that Jesus Christ came as a man, fully God, fully man, died in your place on the cross, and rose from the dead, conquering death, to bring forgiveness and reconciliation with God, that that truth would pervade and permeate every aspect of our lives. That's courageous, gospel-centered living. The kind of courage that it takes that only God can put in us. The kind of courage that doesn't let fear cripple obedience to God. The kind of courage that doesn't let your past failures hinder God's present grace in your life. The kind of courage that speaks up at your school or at your workplace or on the train telling people how much God has done for you in sending Jesus and how they can have life everlasting if they trust in Jesus. The courage that it takes to attempt great things from God and expect great things from God. It takes courage to say, I'm all in, God. Because in our culture, you will be ridiculed. You will be labeled as intolerant. You will be seen as one who's a Bible thumper. And that's okay if they view you a certain way, but know for sure, God wants you to be courageous for Him. And I know that there are some today who, who don't know the Lord, and I pray that as you hear this message, that you see the truth of who God is, His love for you, and how He desires a relationship with you. And for others of you, I need to let you know that at the end of this sermon, we're going to call for a response. Joshua pleads with God's people, and it all culminates in chapter 24, verse 14 and 15, when he says, choose today whom you're going to serve. Let today be that decision day for you. Will you choose to live a courageous life and let God work in you and then work through you to inspire courageous living among other people. That's what God wants for you. And that's what we're going to see here in the book of Joshua, chapter 23. Would you please turn your Bibles there with me? Joshua, chapter 23. I want to pray again and just just ask the Lord's help as we move forward. Father in heaven, oh God, there's been so much and these 24 chapters that you've just done in my heart, I just, I confess that. I just thank you, God. And Lord, I know there are many here who at different times throughout the series, they've been nudged in just the right way by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you bring those things back today. And perhaps if they've only been here one week, or maybe today is their first day, that you would create a new thing in them, Lord. And you would call us to action, God. So Lord, we just plead with you and pray, Father, for your Spirit to do a mighty, mighty work in and through me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned, chapters 23 and 24 are two separate speeches. One in chapter 23 is from Joshua to the leaders of Israel. And in chapter 24, it's from Joshua to the whole nation. Now, we need to know a little bit about where Joshua's at here in order to get a real sense of the, 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 the um, importance of what he's about to say. Look at chapter 23, verse 1. So it says, a long time afterward, 
When the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. So we know Joshua's an old guy right now. How old? Well, look at verse 14. And now Joshua says, I'm about to go the way of the earth. That's code for, I'm getting ready to die. He's, he's getting old. Now go to chapter 24, verse 9, 29. After these speeches, after these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Bilbo had him by a year. Joshua was about 110 years old delivering these two final farewell addresses. So as a guy who's lived a long life, he's saying, look, I'm about to leave. I've got just these things to tell you. This is my final will and testament. I need you to hear me as I plead with you. As an old man who's lived many years, who's seen many great things, hear what I've got to say. It says, a long time afterward, it's been about 20 or 25 years probably since Israel had rest in the land. They were in the promised land. The war was over. There were still some remaining nations that were among them that they still had to finally drive out. But there was truly rest in the land for about 20 or 25 years. And Joshua summons, it says, uh, verse 2, all of Israel, and specifically its elders, heads, judges, and officers. He gets the leaders together first. And he tells them, remember what God's done for you. Remember how he promised us back in Joshua chapter 1 to be strong and courageous, that he'd be with us wherever we went, and that he'd give us this land. Remember that? And look at us now. Decades later, we're standing in the land. He tells the leaders, remember that. But as we, as we see, with what God has done he demands a response from us. And this is what Joshua is about to tell the leaders of Israel in verse 6. In light of all that God's done, therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. He says, oh, courageously obey God's law. And for you and I, that means to open your Bible and radically obey it. I'm about to die now. So get in God's word. Radically obey it. Let it be the guide for your lives from this point forward. This is Joshua. This is an elderly man's plea with a, with a generation that would follow. Leaders, open God's word. Brothers and sisters, open God's word. Radically obey it. Be strong in doing so. Then he tells them in verse 7, this is the purpose because as we open God's word and obey it, he says that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow, or bow down to them. See, as we're opening God's word, we can discern truth from error, the real God from false gods. And Joshua says, as you are courageously obeying God's word, you can know the truth. And then he tells him this in verse 8, but you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. Verse 11, he says, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. He says, Hold on to God with all that you have. Never let go of Him. Just picture somebody walking through the woods with a coffee in their hand, and it's a coffee tumbler. And they're walking through a forest, and they're not able to see in front of them too well. They come to an edge of the cliff in the forest, and they fall over the edge. And as they're falling 
They see their coffee tumbler falling and they're just in despair because they want their coffee. But on their left side, they see a rope. And they have to think to themselves, which should I grab onto? My coffee or the rope? Some might think, well, I've got a left hand, right? I'll hold on to the rope with one and the coffee with the other. But of course, that doesn't secure your life. Any wise person would hold on and cling fast to the rope with all of their might. To hold on to anything else when you're falling is foolish. When we're off the cliff, we cling to our one and only life source. And Joshua says, that's who God is in your life. He is the rope. You cling to Him. Anything else, anything else will not satisfy. Nothing will. And that's a plea for us. Hear that. Nothing else in life will satisfy you and deliver you and give you life as God can do. So cling to Him, Joshua, please, with all your might. Love the Lord your God. Worship Him. And then he tells them specifically, What to be aware of. Verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to something else, cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and a thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Specifically, he tells them, don't get married to the people of the land. Now, at first glance, it sounds kind of odd. You know, love the Lord with all your might and don't marry the people who live there. So, what, what's the correlation here? So we saw last week in Numbers 25 that when Israel began to intermarry with the people of the land, the people's gods became their gods. And Joshua's not so, so concerned about marriage itself as it, He is with the gods with whom they marry into. So his word to them is, be careful who you date. Be careful who you get married to. If they don't love God more than they love you, have no business with them in that covenant kind of way. And dear brother and sister, the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever as well. If you're single today, be careful who you date. Be careful who you marry. If they don't love God more than they love you, they will pull you away from the Lord. And it may not happen tomorrow or a year from now. But many times, on and on, we've seen examples how hearts are torn because one person in a marriage wants to love the Lord and their spouse despises God. It doesn't matter how attractive she might be. It doesn't matter how kind and thoughtful he is. If the Lord is not his God or her God, they will not draw you to him, but they'll pull you away. And Joshua says, I'm about to die. Love the Lord your God. Cling to him alone. And don't compromise in any way, especially in the covenant that you would make. Because they'll become a snare to you, a trap, a whip, and thorns. So beloved, I plead with you, set the standard now. Set the standard. God, I will not compromise you, Lord. I will receive what you have because what you have, God, is best. Not my own understanding. Remember Joshua chapter 9, the Gibeonites? Remember when they came disguised as people from a distant land? 
And Israel said, you know what? They seem, they seem cool. They seem legit. We'll make a covenant with them. And then they only find out later that they were people that, that are right next door to them. And the problem it says in Joshua 9 is they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. So let us accept God's counsel knowing that what He has is best. And Joshua pleads with Israel, don't forsake the Lord. Look at verse 14. He reminds them, hey now, I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. He said, you know deep in your heart that God is good. You know deep in your heart that what God has is best. He delivers on His promises. He gives us good things. How many of God's words have failed? What does it say there? How many? Not one. You know what the the NASB says? Not one. The NIV says, not one. The ESV says, not one. The New Living Translation says, not one. I think it has another word in there too. The reality is, there's no other way to look at this. Not one of God's good promises fail. And it's as clear as day. And Joshua says, God is good. Why would you want anything else? He goes on to tell him there, just as God is faithful to deliver on his promises that are good, he's also faithful to judge disobedience. So choose God. God is good. Well, that's his message for the leaders of Israel. And in chapter 24, it says, Joshua answered in verse 1, or Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And also he summoned the elders and heads and judges and officers. He got the leaders with all of Israel together this time. And he's got another speech. And this one's a little unique because here he's going to speak as a messenger speaking for God. Look what it says in verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord. So what happens in verses 2 through through 13 is God speaking to Israel through Joshua. This is what God tells them. Long ago, verse 2, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. But then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt and did what I, and, and with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. There's an emphasis here. Who's the primary actor in Israel's history? It's God. God's saying, I did this for you. Your father Abraham, he was an idol worshiper. Did you know that? Genesis 12. Uh, Abraham came from the land of the Chaldeans. They didn't know the true God of the Bible. But God pulled Abraham out of his sin and revealed himself to Abraham because of his mercy. Nothing Abraham did, but God just extended his grace to Abraham and gave him Isaac and Jacob. And then he went to Egypt and Moses and Aaron. And then he brought them out of Egypt with the ten plagues and parted the Red Sea. God said, I did this. These are displays of my mercy and displays of me keeping my promise. I brought you into the wilderness, he goes on to say. I brought you into this promised land and I've given you the land. God's giving Israel a history lesson. Why? Why is he reminding them of such great things in their history? 
Well, the reality is, as humans, we're prone to forget. How often we forget what God has done for us. And when one thing goes wrong, it's often my tendency to think of like, oh, come on, God. You died for my sin. You've given me life eternal. And, I, you know, I'll get mad because I stubbed my toe. And how often we, we forget God's goodness in our lives. And here God is just reminding us, look what I've done for you. Pleading with them. See, this is what God wants them to realize, that God's acts towards us demands a response from us. You can write that down. I'll say it again. God's acts toward us demand a response from us. So now these two speeches are culminating into these verses 14 and 15. See, God had laid out through Joshua all that he's done for Israel. And now he's going to say, you've got to make a choice. Look at verse 14. Now therefore, this is Joshua speaking, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Sincerity. That's to be authentic. See, insincere faith crumbles under trials. And Joshua's like, be genuine here. Will you serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness? If so, look at verse, he goes on in verse 14. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This very command is bothering me. The fact that he's telling them put away the gods implies that they hadn't completely left their idolatry. It's just mind-boggling. And yet how we can see ourselves clinging to things other than God. And Josh was telling them, look, put them away. There's only one God. Put those things away. Verse 15. And if it's evil in your sight to serve the Lord, if you don't like what I've got to say, he tells him this, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's here to pass it in Joshua's heart. He wonders, are there tears in his eyes as he's, as he's pleading with them? Choose who you're going to serve. Don't, don't be double-sided anymore. Don't, don't try to hold on to the rope and to the coffee or to your career or to sex or to the desire to get married or the desire for, for, uh, uh, to have success in your jobs or to be known or to have friends or to have fashion. What are you going to serve? Choose this day whom you're going to serve. And Israel, no doubt, is hearing God's, or Joshua's plea with them. And look, look at 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. They, they, they're feeling this. For it is the Lord your God who brought us, out, uh, brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. We know it was God who did that. We're, we're not going to serve any other. So they're, they're seeing the, the, the importance of this moment. But, but then in verse 19, Joshua says to them, well, you're not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. 
And I could see the confusion in their faces. You just told me to choose today whom we will serve. We tell you we're going to serve the Lord. And now you're telling us we can't serve the Lord? It's a bit confusing. And let's look at what Joshua's telling them here. He's saying, you cannot serve the Lord because He's a holy God and a jealous God. I believe what Joshua's trying to do here, he's reminding them that they are utterly frail and and unable to love God apart from God. Why? Because God is holy. And apart from God, we have no chance of being in His presence. So he's saying, you can't serve God because He's holy. And guess what? You're not. He's also a jealous God. He doesn't share His worship with any others. He won't share it. He wants exclusive worship. And apart from Him, our hearts and our minds are idol factories, as one person put it. So Joshua's telling him, you can't serve God. And God won't forgive, he says there, your transgressions or your sins. And what he means here is referring to the, in the next verse, verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. What Joshua's saying here is, if you want to say that you're going to confess God to be your God, yet not wholly trust Him and pursue other gods, don't expect God to tolerate that. He's not going to put up with that kind of sin because God wants your exclusive devotion. Joshua's not sugarcoating anything here. He, you know, he might, he might be able to tell them, you know what, just believe in God and life will be easy here on out. Just, love, just say you believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. doesn't matter what you do the rest of your life. That's sugarcoating and that's not truth. Joshua is speaking truth to them here. He said, you serve a jealous God. He's an awesome God. Psalm 84 says, how lovely are your dwelling places, O God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. To be with the Lord is the best place to be. Joshua knows that. But he's telling him, don't, don't try to have other gods. Because God's also a jealous God. In verse 21, people said, no, no, but we will serve the Lord. And verse 22, Joshua says, well, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. And Joshua tells him again, verse 23, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And they respond, the Lord our God, we will serve. And His voice we will obey. This dialogue is, is one that Joshua just, he's, he's telling him, count the cost here. Reminds me of Jesus when he told his disciples, count the cost of discipleship. Realize what you're getting yourselves into. But at the same time, come. Come all who want rest. Come all who want to drink from the wells. Come all who want to know forgiveness and who want to know peace with God, who want to know true life and freedom from slavery. Come. That's what God says. But know that He wants all of you, not just some of you. So it's a call for courage. Courageous, gospel-centered living is what Joshua's ending up with here in this final chapter of his book. There are three things I want you to remember here. That you've got to make, first of all, a courageous choice. Joshua tells them in verse 15, Choose this day whom you will serve. 
There's a choice involved. See, God has created us in his own image. And because of that, he's given us free will. Yes, he is sovereign. Yes, we have free will. It's a mystery we can't understand, but we embrace it because the Bible teaches it. And you have a choice. Will you choose to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, or you choose to reject him? Because Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. So you've got to make a choice. He says, choose when? This day. I think there might be two ways to understand that. This day, in a sense, choose from this day forward whom you're going to serve. But also, choose this day, and tomorrow you have to choose this day, and the next day choose this day, because each day you've got to make a conscious choice to live for the Lord. Hebrews 3 Verses 12 through 14, in there it says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. And Joshua says, Choose this day, today, whom you will serve. You've got to make a courageous choice. Remember uh, Rahab in Joshua chapter 2? A lady who hid spies, and if she got found out, she would have been executed probably on the spot. But she made a choice. Regardless of the consequence, she said, God, I'm all in. That's the kind of choice God wants you to make today. Are you going to say, I'm all in? Choose this day. You need to make a courageous choice. Secondly, you need to make a courageous confession. See, we can make an inward choice, but it's got to be a verbal proclamation, a, a courageous confession of what we believe. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, God's acts toward us demand a response from us. And the response that Joshua's pleading with Israel, confess that the Lord would be the leader of your home. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Regardless of what people might say of you. We've seen it throughout the media. We, we, we see it. How, how Christianity is mocked. And oftentimes we think, well, this was another faith. They wouldn't have said that. True. But Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted. So, so we shouldn't get so angry at that. I mean, it should bother us. Yes, that's frustrating. But at the end of the day, it's what Jesus says is going to happen. So we need to be courageous in our choice, courageous in our confession. Because the world does not like the exclusive claims of Christianity. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. There's only one rope to cling to. You go for the coffee, you're going to hit the ground. So you've got to make a courageous confession. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You also thirdly need to have a courageous confidence. And the confidence doesn't lie in yourself, but it lies in God. Because we saw that Joshua failed in this book, you remember? He made a covenant without even seeking God. He despairs when Achan stole the, 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 the gold from Jericho. Joshua was not perfect. You will not be perfect. But as long as your confidence is in the God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you, you can stand, brother and sister. You can stand. So have a courageous confidence in the God who brought hailstones from the heavens to protect Joshua. The God who caused the Jordan River to dry up for Joshua. The God who called the walls of Jericho to fall just by marching. You can have courageous confidence in Him. 
So my prayer is that you would be courageous within. Have a courageous, gospel-centered living. But also that God would work through you to inspire courageous, gospel-centered living in other people. See, Josh was a model here. He's showing us what courage is all about. And he's inspiring other people through what he said and what he has done. And I know there's some of you today thinking, when Joshua says, as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord, saying, I don't know about that. Some of you might be teens today or youth, and you might have come today by yourself without your family. Because your family does not love the Lord. And you're saying, as for me and my household, I don't have control over my household. Well, focus on the first part there. Joshua says, as for me. As for me. The choice is yours, brother and sister. As for me, I will serve the Lord. And go home and inspire gospel living to your family who doesn't know the Lord. Show them what God has done for you. Just recently I was speaking with one of the, the young, young guys here from ICI. And uh, how he had come to Christ. And, and I was reminding him how there have been many stories of young men and women who've, who've come to Christ at Inner City Impact. And gone home and told their families and their families trusted Christ. Is that not true? God has done that. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Some of you today, your household is you. You're unmarried and, and you're, you're living on your own. And I just say, choose to make your home a refuge of service to God. Determine, as for me and where I live, if it's a dormitory, if it's that room I'm renting with other roommates, as for me and this place, it will be a place where God is worshipped. Some of you ladies today have come maybe without your husband and you're, the burden is on you to rear your children in the Lord. And I just plead with you to know that you can inspire gospel-centered living in your home. And you can be an example to your child. God is calling you to be courageous. And for you men, God is calling you to be a leader. To be a leader in this church. To be a leader in your home. To be a leader amongst your friends. Choosing God first and the worship of Him. As for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Well, Joshua calls them to respond. And we see in the verses 24 and following... That Joshua writes these things down in the book of the law. Then he, st- he sets up a stone and says, This stone will be a testimony to you in future generations of your decision to choose the Lord. And we want to call you to a decision today. I'm going to ask that our God's kids would come back into the service at this point. I want to charge you to be courageous to the end. See, this is what God wants for us. Joshua died 110 years old courageous to the very end. I heard a story this week of a man who said that he sat at the bedside of his mother. She was dying and she was unable to speak. And he read a passage to her from John chapter 11. And this is what it says. Jesus said to the woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall yet, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives in Believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks, do you believe me? And this man read this passage to his mother, knowing her response. Unable to speak, she winked her eye in affirmation, saying, yes, I believe that. Because she had lived a courageous life, courageous to the very end. 
Will you choose to be courageous to the very end? We all love watching fireworks. They go up and they start with a bang, but they all fizzle out. Will you be the one who doesn't fizzle, but says, No, God, I'm going to courageously choose you, courageously confess you, courageously have my confidence in you, and I can walk in the, in the ways of you, O oh God, inspiring others to fear God in the same way. Well, that's my prayer for you, Good News Bible Church, to be strong and courageous. When God's kids comes back, what I want you guys to do is take a moment, households together, so if you're a family, you have children, have your kids sit with you. Or if there's not seating by you, just come in the aisle. And I want you to pray together. If you want to affirm with Joshua, as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. This is the time to do it. Make a courageous choice. And some of you, maybe you don't have ch- children or you're, you're, you don't have a household with you. You can pray by yourself or maybe you can pray with someone else whom you know who, uh, who's in your similar life stage. And pray aloud and verbalize, God, today I'm choosing you. I'm setting the standard of courageous living, God, from this point forward. So we're going to have the children come by you. I want the band to come up at this time. And as your families come to you, be ready to pray. And after you've prayed for some time and you've concluded in your prayer time, either by yourself or with your family, I want you to come forward. And our worship planning team, in conjunction with a sister here in our congregation, our sister, our sister made these frames for you. We have one for every household in the church. And it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And just as Joshua set up a stone reminding Israel of their covenant to love the Lord, my prayer is that as you take these to your home, or to your dorm, or to your apartment, you would set this up as a continual reminder that God is my God. And I will worship Him. So pray together if you have your family with you. And after some time, you can come forward and grab your frame. And the elders will come forward at this time as well, being ready to help you distribute them.